I don't want to belabor the time. I want to get right to it um, to make uh, most use of our time. Uh, for those of you who are here for the first time, I can't see you guys. I can't see you guys, but I'm believing you guys are here. And I know some of you guys have already sent me um, DMs letting me know that you're here. Uh, you guys are sending me DMs on IG. So, by the way, follow me on IG at Opus, F-R-E-R-E, at Opus, F-R-E-R-E. Uh, my IG got hacked and deleted. And so um, I just gave up trying to recover it. So I just started a new one. Um, and I've been putting, you know, uh, s some of our TikToks on there. But I've got other stuff that I do there to engage with you guys. And you guys can, um, you know, we can communicate there as well. But I know um, some of you guys have been direct messaging me already. I'm getting the notifications on my IG uh, saying that you guys are on. So I'm glad. I'm glad. Thank you, Gary, for posting that and letting me know. Um, so and then I've got my Facebook family here as well. Saritha, good to see you. Good to see you, Simi. Um, good to see you guys in our Facebook family. This is the Read and Rant. If you're here for the first time and you're wondering, okay, what are we doing here? What's the whole purpose of um, this time that we're spending together? Uh, my vision, okay, my desire, my heart is to see every believer read the entire Bible. That's that's it. To see every believer read the entire Bible because I believe it transforms lives. I believe it empowers you. It changes your life and it conforms you into who God intends you to be. And so for that reason, um, I'm incredibly passionate about that. I'm incredibly passionate about people reading through the entire scripture. Um, for many people, the, reading the Bible is an intimidating endeavor. It's really intimidating for a lot of people. And so... Um, for most people, they look at it, they go, there's a lot of letters, a lot of words, a lot of books, a lot of chapters. There's just a lot there. Um, I'm just gonna wait for somebody to tell me what's in it. Um, give me the cliff note version, whatever you got to do, pastor, help me out. Um, so for me, what I want to show you is I want to show you the power of just simply disciplining yourself for 20 to 30 minutes a day, just simply disciplining yourself for 20 to 30 minutes a day. OK, half a Netflix episode a day um, and you'll see how much Bible we get through. Guys, together, we've gone through the New Testament and now we're going to get we're going to go through the Old Testament. Um, and so uh, we started at the wait, at the beginning of the week, uh, at the end of last week. We started at the end of last week um, in Genesis and now we're in Exodus. So we've gone through the book of Genesis and now we're going we're journeying through the book of Exodus. And so that's what I want to do. I want to just read the scriptures with you. That's my primary focus. And then we have our time of ranting. I call it the rant, the read and rant, because I do spend another 20 to 30 minutes just ranting um, about what the Lord is leading, because I believe that reading should be meditational. It shouldn't uh, be intellectual, um, but that meditational reading is really where transformative uh, power manifests um, is through meditational reading. That is that we read and we allow God to change something in us as we read. So it's all about our posture. If we're if, we, if we're simply seeking to understand the word intellectually, that doesn't change anything because Satan knows the word. Um, so if Satan knows the word, then knowing the word is not what changes you. It's allowing the word to take root in you. That's what changes you. That's what transforms you. That's what shifts the trajectory of your life. So for me, that is it. That is it. That's my passion. My passion is to see people um, um, learn to read meditationally. So you're prayerfully reading through the scripture as you allow the scripture to transform you and to change you. It is the most powerful activity that any believer can engage in. And so that's what we're here to do. It's not a Bible study. It's not a Bible study, but there's some study in it. Um, I do intend eventually to incorporate Bible study um, live. I don't know how I'm going to do it yet, whether I'm going to do it at the Facebook group or if I'm going to do it on TikTok. Uh, I'm kind of leaning right now towards just doing it on the Facebook group. 
Um, but I am doing it. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm prayerfully thinking through that before I make that commitment, because this is a commitment that I'm making with you guys. And I want to continue to journey through it. Even after we, after we read through the Old Testament, we're going to go back and read through the New Testament again. I might just do a little carousel and just keep reading through and reading through as you guys journey. And you're going to see how it changes your life. You're going to see how it transforms your life. And I've already gotten messages from you guys saying, man, I wish I had done this a long time ago. I can't believe I didn't do this. Um, wow, this is incredible. I, I actually see real transformative life change. Not just, oh, I read the Bible. I got a little word of encouragement. I knew a thing here or there. But we're here to just rant and to speak as we read the scripture. And um, and so when we read the scriptures, we're asking three questions as we read. We're asking God, what is he revealing concerning himself? What is he revealing concerning people? And what is God revealing concerning me? What is God revealing concerning me? So we're not just, we're not here to just exegete the scripture. We want the scripture to exegete us and to conform us to the image of God, to convict us. And so that's what we're here to do. That's what we're here to engage in. And, and so we're going to pray and then we're going to get right into it. We're going to read today from Exodus chapter six, and we're going to read for the next about 20 minutes. And then, um, and then I'll rant for another 20 minutes, um, and then see where the Lord leads. Um, we'll see maybe if I can, uh, if I can make this work tomorrow so I can see you guys and see your comments. Cause I can't see anything. It just says, if I screenshot of this for you to see it, you would see, it says there are zero viewers, but I know you guys are on. Um, it says there's zero viewers and I can't see any of your comments. So that's unfortunate, but I'd like for you guys to comment with one another though. Um, encourage one another as we're spending this time in reading, uh, pray for one another. That's what this is for. This is just a platform for us to engage together as believers. Another thing that I want you to do is just quickly shout out where you're located. Even if I can't see it quickly, shout out where you're located, uh, because it, it shows you. It shows you that there are people from all around the world, from different time zones who are engaging with you in this moment to read the word with you. It's a simultaneous reading of the word. And so that's powerful as well. Uh, so, yeah. So l let's get right to it. Um, I am. I've got nothing planned. I just I, I just want to uh, hear from God and hear what God has to say. What is he convicting me of? And so you're going to see me engage in that. To see what is the Lord convicting me of as I am reading his word. So let's get right to it. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time. Lord, I, I thank you that you have uh, made yourself available to us. Lord, as we engage today, as we engage in this moment, Lord, in your word, I just pray that you would uh, reveal the truth of your gospel, reveal the truth of who you are, reveal yourself to us, Lord. Reveal, Lord God, the complexities of our uh, interactions with one another, our relationship with one another, our engagement with one another. Reveal to us, Lord, the uh, sinful complexities of our heart, as well as, Lord, our, 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 our places of brokenness, Lord, that, that need healing. And, and, Lord, to meet us there and to, uh, to heal us and to restore us there. Father, I just pray that we would be encouraged today, that we'd be empowered today, that we would be convicted today. Lord, correct it today that we may leave this time of reading uh, not being the same people that we were when we came into it. And I ask that in your name we pray. Um, amen. And amen. Exodus 6. Exodus 6. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. 
For with a strong hand he will let them go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of this land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I have heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, says the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses because of the anguish of the spirit and cruel bondage. Hmm. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the children of Israel go out of his land. And Moses spoke before the Lord saying, the children of Israel have not heeded me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me? for I am of uncircumcised lips. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a command for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children out of the land of Egypt. These are the heads of their father's houses. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, were Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the families of Reuben. And the sons of Simeon were Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the families of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generation. Gershon, Kohath, Merari, and the years of the life of Levi were 137. The sons of Gershon were Libni and Shimi according to their families. And the sons of Kohath were Amram, Izar, Hebron, and Uziel. And the years of the life of Kohath were 133. The sons of Merari were Mali and Mushi. These are the families of Levi according to their generations. Now Amram took for himself Jochebed, his father's sister, as wife. And he and she bore him Aaron and Moses. And the years of the life of Amram were 137. The sons of Izar were Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri. The sons of Uziel were Mashael, Elzaphan, and Zithri. Aaron took to himself Elisheba, daughter of Aminadab, the sister of Nation, the wife, and she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ethamar. The sons of Korah were Asir, Elkanah, Abiasaph. These are the families of the Korites. Eliezer, Aaron's son, took for himself one of the daughters of Putiel, his wife, and bore him Phineas. These are the heads of the houses of the Levites, according to their families. Hmm. 
These are the same Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, according to their armies. These are the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. These are the same Moses and Aaron. And it came to pass on the day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I am the Lord. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh heed me? Hmm. How shall Pharaoh heed me? Exodus 7. So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron, your brother, shall test, shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of the land, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and I will multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my enemies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments." And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Then Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded them. So they did. And Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 years old when he spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when Pharaoh speaks to you saying, show a miracle for yourselves, then you shall say to Aaron, take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went in to Pharaoh, and they did so just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. But Pharaoh also called the wise men the sorcerers. So the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. Every man threw his rod, and they became serpents, and Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods and Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them as the Lord said. So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go, go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water and you shall stand by the river bank to meet him. And the rod which was turned to a serpent you shall take in your hand, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now, you would not hear. Thus says the Lord, But this you shall know, that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish which are in the river shall die, and the river shall stink. And the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, said to, Say to Aaron, Take your rod and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their streams, over their rivers, over their ponds, and over all their pools of water, that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in buckets of wood and in put pictures of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded, and he lifted up his rod, struck the waters that were in the river, 
and in the sight of Pharaoh, in the sight of the servant, and all the waters were in the same river turned to blood. The fish that were in the water died, and the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither was his heart moved by this. So all the Egyptians dug all around the river for water to drink, but they could not drink the water of the river. Seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. And the Lord spoke to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, into the houses of your servants, on your people, over or into uh, your ovens and into your kneading bowls. And the frogs shall come upon you, on your people and on all your servants. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams, over the rivers and over the ponds and cause frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt and the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought upon brought up frogs on the land of Egypt. <laughs> and Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people. And I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. And Moses said to Pharaoh, accept the honor of saying when I, when I shall intercede for you, for your servants and for your people to destroy the frogs from you and your houses that they may remain in the river only. So he said tomorrow, and he said, let it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord, our God. Huh? And the frogs shall depart from you, from your houses, from your servants and from your people. They shall remain in the river only. Then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh. And Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. So the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And the frogs died out of the houses, out of the courtyards, and out of the fields. They gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them. As the Lord had said, so the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land so that it may become like lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so for Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and struck the dust of the earth and it became lice on a man and beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Now the magicians worked with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had said. And the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. And say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me or else 
If you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants, on your people, and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies, and also the ground on which they stand. And in that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there, in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I'll make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow, this sign shall be. And the Lord did so. Thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh, into a servant's houses, and into all the land of Egypt. And the land was corrupted because of the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh said to Moses, sorry, then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, go, sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, it is not right to do so. For we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians in the land of our Lord. Sorry, let me repeat that. And Moses said, it's not right to do so. For we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, then will they not stone us? We will go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God and he, as he will command us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go, that you may sacrifice the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far away. Intercede for me. Then Moses said, Indeed, I am going out from you, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. But let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully any more, in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh's heart hardened. But Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. Neither would he let the people go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and tell him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, on the houses, on the donkeys, on the camel, on the oxen, and on the sheep, a very severe pestilence. And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. Then the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing on the next day. And all the livestock of Egypt died. But of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Then Pharaoh sent. Indeed, not even one of the livestock of the Israel, Israelites were dead. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourselves handfuls of ashes from a furnace. And let Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh. And it will become fine dust in the land of Egypt, and it will cause boils to break out on the sores of men of the beast throughout the land of Egypt. And they took ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses scattered them towards heaven. And they caused boils that break out in, into sores on man and beast, and the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians and on all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, 
and he did not heed, heed them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For at this time I will send all my plagues at your very heart and your servants and all your people that they may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Now, if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up that I may show you my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. As yet you exalt yourself against my people in that you will not let them go. Behold, tomorrow about this time, I will cause very heavy hail to rain down such as has not been in Egypt since its founding until now. Therefore, send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field for hail shall come down on every man and every animal which is found in the field and is not brought home and they shall die. He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to their houses. But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, and on every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven. And the Lord sent another thunder and hail and fire darted to the ground, and the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, so very heavy that there is none like it in the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and my people and I are wicked and treat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail for it is enough. I will let you go. You shall stay no longer. So Moses said to him, as soon as I've gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God. Now the flax and the barley were stuck, for the barley was in the head and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the spelt were not struck, for they are late crops. Hmm. Hmm. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread out his hands to the Lord. Then the thunder and the hail ceased and the rain was not poured on earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more and he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard. Neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken by Moses. I'll stop there. Um, yeah, I'll stop there. Um, actually, no, let me read, let me read this last chapter and then, and then we'll just spend a few minutes in reflection. 
Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things I have done in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them, that they may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me, or else, if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory, and they shall cover the face of the earth so that no one shall be able to see the earth, and they shall eat the residue of what is left, which remains to you from the hail, and they shall eat of every tree which grows up for, for you out of the field. They shall fill your houses and the houses of your servants and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither your father nor your father's father have seen since the day that they were on the earth to this day. And he turned and he went to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not let do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? So Moses and Aaron were brought up again to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God, who are who are the ones that are going. And Moses said, We will go with our young and old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds, we will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Then he said to them, The Lord had better be with you when I let you and your little ones go. Beware, for evil is ahead of you. Not so. Go now, you who are men and serve the Lord, for that is what you desired. They were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts that that may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the field that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt and the Lord brought an east wind on the land on that day and on all the night. When it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts and the locusts went up from all over the land of Egypt and rested on all the territory of Egypt. And they were very severe. Previously, there had been no such locusts as they, nor shall there be after them, for they covered the face of the whole earth so that the land was darkened. And they ate every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. So there remained nothing green on the trees or on the plants of the fields throughout the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin only this once and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. So he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord and the Lord turned a very strong west wind which took the locusts away and blew them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the territory of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children go. Now the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, And there was thick darkness in the land of Egypt three days. 
and they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. But Moses said, You must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice the Lord our God. <laughs> our livestock shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take them to serve the Lord our God. And even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart that he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. So Moses said, You have spoken well. I will never see your face again. I will never see your face again. Hmm. Speak to us today, Lord. Speak to us. There's so much in this text. There's so much in the scripture, um, so much to parse through, to snip through, to expostulate, to exegete, to exposit. Um, obviously, we're not afforded that time, and that's not the whole purpose of what we do here, is for the exposition of scripture. And yet, there's a lot there to expose, to pull out, to draw out. Um, so I'm going to resist that temptation and I want to just point to, uh, a few specific things that stuck out to me as I was reading this. Um, for those of you who are here for the first time, first of all, I'm sorry if I don't interact with you guys because I can't see you. Um, it just says that there's no one watching. There's no one viewing. It's just TikToks. It's done. This It's done this before. But I know you guys are on, so I'm sharing my thoughts with you, even though I know that you guys are on um, right now. So I just let you guys know that you guys can interact with each other because I'm sure you guys can see each other's messages. I just can't see yours. I can't see any of your um, chats, but I do want to share a few thoughts with you as I'm in reflection. And maybe this is just the Lord's doing because he wants me to focus really on what is being said here in this scripture we talked about yesterday the importance of understanding timing that when God has something promised to you often what God promises to you isn't comfortable often what God promises to you is profoundly uncomfortable and often when God gives you something, he doesn't give it to you readily prepared. He gives it to you with a promise. And it's by that promise that you've been given the grace to persevere, to be able to establish what God is doing. Okay. So great. Awesome. Thank you, Kristen, for letting me know. Um, and so when God promises them the land of Canaan, they had to go and subdue that land. Abraham was there, but 
there was still a lot of dynamics involved there. And then there was Isaac and then there was Jacob and they had to learn um, geopolitics and, and relationships and all that stuff. And then afterwards, this family, right, that's now, the, the, remember the thread of God's story is, is really this family that God is now establishing covenant with a family to lead to the restoration of all humanity and all mankind, beginning with Abraham, continuing with Isaac, Right. And then Israel and then Israel's sons, um, of which 12 were the recipients of the promise. And through those 12, we find them here in Egypt. Canaan was the promised land. Egypt was a pit stop. But they stayed in the pit stop for, for, for centuries. They were exiles for centuries. And they became comfortable in that exilic reality, which by consequence, they found themselves now in slavery. It's funny because the, the scriptures aren't very specific about the nature of the slavery. All they tell us is that they were imposed by the Egyptians. The Egyptians subdued them to work even though the Egyptians were aware that these people were powerful and what, and the reason of, or the, the justification for the uh, enslavement of these people was because of the power that the oppressor saw on the oppressed. And so out of being threatened by the capacity of the children of Israel, the capacity for them to overtake Egypt, they made them slaves. Slavery subdues not just the person, but the totality of the person, the mind. So now through slavery, that person could not see the capacity that they had, the strength that they had, the power that they had. The oppressed could not see that the oppressor was oppressing because he was threatened by the oppressed. <laughs> and it reminds me of the current opposer, the current oppressor, Satan, that when you find yourself in the midst and in the presence of spiritual warfare, understand there's no winning for the enemy. There's no winning for the devil. There's no winning for the oppressor. There's no winning for Satan. There's no winning for the system. Because the system is aware already that the system is weaker. It is temporary because one day the oppressed will know who they are. And when they know who they are, they will begin to step into the power that they have, that they've been given, that can now manifest through them. These people have been given that kind of power that they served Yahweh. Yahweh introduces himself as Yahweh. Up to this point, it was in the beginning Elohim, in the beginning Elohim. And, and in Psalms, it talks about Elohim who created the heavens and the earth. This, this Elohim, among the Elohim was the Elion, the most high, right? That's what we see throughout the, the book of Psalms, Elion, who was the most high among the Elohim, but the most high did not have a name. Elion did not have a name up until this point when Moses now 
has been pulled out and called as a prophet to bring revelation to the people about who they were and where God was calling them next. And he says to Moses, tell them that I am sent you Yahweh. That's the word Yahweh, the name Yahweh. Yahweh quite literally means I am. I am. And then, of course, Yahweh is translated in the Septuagint as Jehovah. Jehovah. Yahweh, Jehovah. I am. I am that I am. I am. And it's funny because when we see Jehovah, the word Jehovah, side note real quick, but, but the name Jehovah does not speak into just names as we would understand them. They speak into functionality. The Hebrew people, when they ascribe names to things, names were ascribed to activity. Names were ascribed to symbols. Names were ascribed to action. So when he said, tell them that Yahweh sent you, tell them that, that Jehovah sent you, that I am sent you. Understand that I am is not just a name, but I am is a total function. When says I am, you would say I am, but that sounds like a sentence. Well, yes, it does sound like a sentence because I am is whatever it needs to be in the moment that it needs to be whatever it is. This is the limitless capacity of God that he says that uh, I am, that is Yahweh, that is Jehovah. That's why we say Jehovah Jireh. I am a provider. Right, Jehovah Nisi, I am a banner. Jehovah Tzidkenu, I am your righteousness. Jehovah Rofi, I am your healer. Jehovah Rohi, I am um, your shepherd. So when we put Jehovah next to a name or function, it's God meeting a need in the moment that that need is needed. <laughs> And so now Moses has this revelation. He meets God. He has this encounter, the supernatural encounter with God. And now he goes back to Egypt. And when he goes back to Egypt, he, 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 he encounters Pharaoh, who is the embodiment. I want to make sure you guys understand what I'm about to say next. Pharaoh is the embodiment of Satan. And you say, wait, what? Is he Satan? I don't want to completely throw you off here for a moment, but understand that Satan is not just a person, but that Satan is a system. The word Satan means opposer. And that God, if God, right, if in his word, all things are held together, if God, the creator of the universe, the creator of all things, if God is God, then Satan is the anti-God. Satan is the opposite of God. Satan is the opposer to God. And Satan manifests himself throughout um, God's creation, both spiritually and physically. That's why the scriptures tell us that there will be many antichrists. We're always waiting for one antichrist, but there are many Antichrist. There are many opposers, all driven by the system of the dragon, the serpent that is Satan. Okay. Pharaoh is the embodiment of that. He represents everything that the system celebrates. He represents um, 
<laughs> nationalism. He 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 represents greed and he represents the over the the the, the overconsuming desire for wealth and power. Pharaoh represents and embodies the system. And now Moses is returning back to the system and God warns Moses and he tells Moses, this is what you're going to say. And yet even after you say it, the, that Pharaoh will oppose. So this is what you're going to do next. And, and for many of us, we know we've heard of the, the 10 plagues. We're very familiar with it, right? The 10 plagues, the 10 plagues, you know, and it's, it's, it's cool and all, right? Um, but I want to point something out to you when you read this, this scripture. Pharaoh joins with Aaron. And of course, they have their, you know, they, 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 in the chapter before that we read, the last chapter from yesterday, right? Right. Moses presents his vision, his revelation, his prophetic message to the children of Israel to let them know these are the steps we're about to take next because God is calling us out of the land of Egypt to go into worship him. And then now in verse in chapter seven, it says, so the Lord said to Moses, see, I've made you as God to Pharaoh and Aaron, your brother shall be your prophet. And then look at in verse three, he says, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. He's telling you ahead of time that the resistance that you will see from Pharaoh is providentially permitted by God. <laughs> that the resistance of the enemy is providentially permitted by God. And when I say providentially permitted by God, some of you say, wait, so God hardened Pharaoh's heart? No, Pharaoh's heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart and God through the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, used the hardening of Pharaoh's heart to be able to propagate and propel his agenda moving forward. Pharaoh was part of God's plan, but in Pharaoh experiencing the hardening of his heart, you'll see it. And I highlighted all the way through as we read it every time after every plague, you'll hear that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, but that Pharaoh's heart was hardened and that Pharaoh's heart grew hard or that Pharaoh um, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Understand this. Neither one is exclusive, mutually exclusive from the other, but rather very much intertwined with each other is that Pharaoh by his own willingness being driven by the spirit of the Leviathan, Satan, by the spirit of greed, by the spirit of power, by the spirit of, um, uh, of influence that Pharaoh, Pharaoh's heart grew hard. These people asked to step away into worship. And we see the first plague, and I'm not here to spend a lot of time on that. I just want you, I, something I want you to pay very close attention to. First plague, water to blood. Then the second plague in chapter eight, frogs. Then the third plague, the lice. Then the fourth plague, the livestock, right? The emaciating, diseased livestock. Then the sixth plague, 
the boils, and then the seventh plague, the hail, the eighth plague, the locusts, and then the ninth plague, the darkness. We'll talk about the tenth plague tomorrow. I want you to pay attention to this. These plagues, there's been, let me back that up for a second. People have had so many debates about this. There's been a lot of debate about the historicity of the plagues. There's been a lot of debate about whether or not it happened. Because this kind of seems crazy. Water turning into blood. Frogs consuming the whole region. Lice, hail, darkness, locusts, all this stuff. Like that stuff sounds, it's crazy. It's, it's, it's. Like, did it really happen that way? Is this symbolic? Is this like, what, what's happening here? I'm avoiding the temptation of going into a full Bible study here. <laughs> but I will say this. That we read the 10 plagues often and we're trying to decipher the historicity of it. Did it happen? Absolutely. I believe it happened. But because we spend so much time deciphering the historicity of it and the event itself, that we miss out on the grander story. Today, I want to point back to the grander story. I want us to focus on the grander story of what is happening here. The children of Israel have been called. Listen now, the children of Israel have been called out of Egypt to go and to worship him. Pharaoh resists that and comes against that. And as a result, we see 10 plagues. We just read through nine. We see water turning into blood. Then we see the frogs. Then we see the... And what we're missing, and I hope y'all catch this, and maybe I'll do a Bible study on the plagues eventually. But these plagues are not exclusive to themselves. They're not mutually exclusive. And what I mean by that is, is that these plagues are not events separate in themselves. Water turning into blood coincided with the plague of the frogs. The plague of the frogs coincided with the plague of the lice. The plague of the lice coincided with the plague of the flies. The plague of the flies coincided with the emaciating animals. The emaciating. So, so why am I bringing this up? I'm bringing this up because everything is divinely ordered. God is preparing something. God is writing a story through this. And we're gonna we're going to see some of these things iterated throughout the remainder of the scripture, pointing back to these moments of the Lord delivering the children of Israel out of Egypt through these ten plagues. And yet each plague, each plague, there's a story that's being written. Water, frogs, the frogs came out of the water. Then out of the frogs, returning back to the water was left the lice. Remember, God already knew that Pharaoh would not hold his hand of the bargain. 
God already knew that. He told Moses this. So every time Pharaoh said, I got you, man, I'm good. Don't worry about it. Um, You guys can go and worship. Go ahead, go out there and worship. Uh, Just make this plague go away. When Moses went back to God, he didn't go back to God to say, okay, God, we're done. (laughs) We're done. The plague's done. Um, I guess we get to go back and let's celebrate. No, Moses went back to God knowing step two. Then when he came to Pharaoh, he came back to God and said, step three. He continued to harden Pharaoh's heart because what God wanted to do is, is God wanted to initiate and institute the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even in this moment, God is revealing, that's right, the coming of the Messiah, even through this. And and that's why I don't want to say too much because I want later on to read it. We're going to see this all throughout the book of Psalms, all throughout the book of the prophets. We're going to seek them come back to this, pointing back to this and showing how that points back to what is to come. There's an anticipation of something to come. This is leading. Every one of these plagues is leading to a climax. Okay. It's leading to a climax. One leads to the other, which leads to the other, which leads to the other. And every step of the way, the Lord is hardening Pharaoh's heart. But there's one thing I want you to pay very, very close attention to. And then I'll close with my final word on this. In Exodus 9, verse 31, I got stuck. If you guys notice, I kind of stopped there for a second and just it hit me. After all these plagues in Exodus chapter nine, hail hits and it says, now the flax and the barley were struck for the barley was in the head and the flax was in the bud, but the wheat and the spelt were not struck for they are late crops. I, I want to make sure you're 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 hearing me here, family. That God is preparing something even in this moment. The flax and the barley are grain commonly eaten by the Egyptians. The wheat and the spelt were grain commonly eaten by the Hebrews. The flax and the barley were struck by the hail, but the wheat and the spelt were not struck because they had not yet fully come out and sprouted as crops. Then afterwards, watch this now, eighth plague, they're locusts. The locusts come, and remember, the locusts come and they devour the herb. We're going to get into that later on when we read in Joel chapter 2, but anyway, we'll come back to that. And the locusts come and they devour and they eat of every herb of the land all the hail had left over. Remember what the hail hit, the barley and the wheat, not the grain and not the, um, sorry, 
the um the barley and the um oh goodness my brain um the the, the barley and the um um and the flax the barley and the flax but the wheat was not struck and and whatever was left over then was taken over by the locusts stay with me family was taken over by the locusts the locusts began to eat away at what was left by the hail are y'all with me and so Moses then, it says in verse 13, uh, Exodus 10, verse 13. So Moses stretched out his hand over the land of Egypt and the Lord brought the east wind on the land. And when it, when morning came, the east wind brought the locusts and the locusts came and they chewed up whatever was left over the barley and the flax. Then in the ninth plague came the darkness and the darkness came over all the land. I want to bring this up for you because I want this to be a preview to what you're about to see for the next two or three chapters. When we read about the deliverance of Israel and the Passover, water turned into blood. The frogs took over, right? Then there was the locust, the hail, all that, all that came, the lice and, and everything that came after it. But the one overarching thread that we read through all of this is that while it affected the Egyptians, it did not affect the children of Israel. There are actually two threads here and I'll point them all out tomorrow. Okay. But it affected the children of Israel, but it did not affect the Egyptians. I mean, sorry, it affected the Egyptians, but it did not affect the children of Israel. The frogs, all the things that should have affected the children of Israel, it did not affect them, but it affected the Egyptians. The Lord is running something through a land, and yet there's a land that has been secured, has been covered. And the wheat and the flax, this is really where, <laughs> this is really where the story it's going to get really, really interesting. I wish I could say it all now, but I won't. I won't. But this is where it gets very, very interesting. Because remember what I told you is these plagues were leading up to something. For many, uh, there are theologians, there are archaeologists, there are historians, um, philosophers who have tried to make sense of the story of the 10 plagues. They've tried to make sense of it to say, these were actual events that transpired. Now we need to find the scientific reasons for why they transpired. They're looking for the science behind it. Some will say, well, no, there were just supernatural events that happened. These supernatural events happened and they happened because God was saying frogs, lice, ale, water to blood, all that. And then, of course, there's another stream of thought to say it was all symbolic. It didn't really happen. It was just a story that Moses was trying to or that, that, that Moses was writing to convey the story of how God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt. Which one is it? Is it true or is it not true? Is it um, is it historical or is it symbolic? Is it? Um, did it physically happen through acts of God? 
Or is this a chain of events? Here's my answer to you today. It was all of it. It was all of it. First, it was true. It happened. Second, it was symbolic. Meaning, while it happened, there was a purpose behind it. So it was true. It was symbolic. The third thing is that they were enacted and initiated by the hand of God. God was very much involved with these events, these incredible events. They were natural, but they were supernatural because they were being motivated, driven, and guided by the hand of God. Thirdly, they were interrelated. One actually led to the other, which led to the other, which led to the other, which led to the other, meaning neither of those arguments that I said to you should ever conflict. Stay with me, fam. Stay with me, because this might help somebody who's really wrestling with their faith. There's somebody right now who's going, man, I don't know where I'm at with a lot of stuff that I'm reading and a lot of stuff that's happening. I don't know where I'm at. So let me help you out, fam. When you rest in God and you rest in Christ, understand that the natural and the supernatural are not mutually exclusive, that the spirit and the physical are not mutually exclusive, that they're all very much intertwined with each other, that what is happening in the spirit is also happening in the physical, that what's happening in the physical is manifested out of what is happening in the spiritual, and they need not conflict with each other because every step in our life is ordered by God, meaning that there is symbol behind everything that happens. Nothing happens simply by accident. Nothing happens by happenstance. Everything is divinely ordered, providentially ordered by God. One led to another, meaning there is both a scientific explanation and a spiritual explanation. Stay with me, family, because this might really get some people uncomfortable because there are things that sometimes cannot be explained by science because science explains the order of things and the system of things and how things transpire. But anything that is explained by science can be explained by the spirit as well. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is, is that science is still being driven and moved and motivated by God, by the hand of God, by the word of God, by the character of God. In him do all things consist. And by his word is the universe being held together. God is intimately engaged and actively participating in the events of nature. Meaning when nature's anomalies occur, do you not believe? Do you not believe that God is involved in that? Do you not believe that God has a hand in that? You don't need to separate the two. There can both be a scientific and a spiritual explanation. And yet God is enacting something in that moment. I've heard things like um, 
they, that they see these, you know, they, that they read these archaeological documents of the history of the Egyptian people and that there were events, um, um, incredibly natural events, rare events that happened around that time that it could have been a meteor that was hitting uh, that region um, that caused this anomaly, this sequential anomaly of events that all happened. If that were true, is it not God that was involved in that? I think we're so overly consumed about trying to understand what transpired and explaining what happened that we miss out on why it happened. We miss out on why it happened. I love that you asked that question, um, Errorless, because often what happens is, is we think of the divine order of God. But we sometimes think that that comes as a consequence of our free will. Let me just say this real quick. Because I need people to understand free will. We have free will. Free will is the ability to choose, to decide. We have the freedom to make choices. We have the power to choose right now. If I choose to get up and stop this TikTok, I have, that's all my decision. I own that. That's all me. And the fact that God has given mankind authority on earth means that man has free will because God has delegated that authority on earth to him. Okay. So we have free will, but then doesn't God also decree his story for humanity? Yes, he does. So God chooses how it ends. We choose how it gets there. Did you catch that? I hope that helps you. God chooses how it ends. We choose how it gets there. <laughs> so how it ends doesn't ever change. God is never surprised with the end result. However, there are many, 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 many ways to get there. And that's all on us. And yet God knows what our choices will be. This is the complexity of it all. There's God's decorative will. Okay, there's God's decorative will. God's decorative will will not change. It won't. God is writing a story here through these plagues. And Pharaoh has all the, he can choose to change his mind at any point. He chooses not to. And yet God uses his choosing not to. To lead us here. Let me help you out real quick. The children of Israel were going to leave Egypt. Why? Because God promised them Canaan to establish a nation there. That family would become a nation that he would call that out of that nation will come the restoration and the reconciliation of all mankind. I wish I could see your comments right now. I'm sure you guys are getting what I'm saying. I hope what I'm saying is making sense. I hope so. But how we get there is determined by our decisions. Let me help you out. If Moses came up to Pharaoh with Aaron and said, hey, uh, you got to let us go. We got to go and worship. And I think we're out of here. I think we got to go back to Canaan. We've we've overstayed our welcome here in Egypt. Uh, maybe you felt like we were sucking all your resources and, and that this arrangement isn't working well. So we're going to get up and we're going to go. Um, and so uh, we're going to go back to where God has called us. Pharaoh could have been like, you know what? Bet. Go ahead. Go do your thing. Um, it was great. It's nice knowing you. Um, we would have wanted you to stay. Maybe we could have worked out a deal. But if you got to go, go. The end result is they were in Egypt. I mean, sorry, they were in Canaan. 
the end result is they would go back to Canaan. Or Pharaoh's heart could be hardened and he could resist and he can make his own decisions and he can resist, you know, the, 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 you know, then the Lord can send all these plagues and he's resisting these plagues and all these things happen. They happen as a consequence of his resistance. How does it end? They still end up in Canaan. <laughs> they still end up back where the Lord called them to go. They still end up there. Yet God, who's, who has an infinite wisdom, already knows what the decisions are that we're going to make and orders things accordingly to write out his story that will bring him glory. At the end of the day, his glory is what matters. His glory is what matters. So Pharaoh resists him and God is writing a story. And as Pharaoh's heart is hardened, the Lord is participating in that to say, let me use this for my glory because I'm going to deliver my children out of Egypt to go back to the promised land, the land that was promised to them. Remember, these are the people who are writing the story of God. So that's to say this, God is in control. However, we still have free choice. Science does not conflict with faith. And science does not conflict. Fam, please hear me out. Science does not conflict with the laws of God. As a matter of fact, science should reveal the character, the law, the ontological reality of who God is. Science tells you that when you water a plant, the plant grows. Science tells you that there's a, a, a field of gravity, a force that binds two masses together and one mass can rotate around the other. Science can't tell you where gravity came from. Science just tells you what it does. And yet that still points to God. Atoms, protons, and electrons um, that, that, are, that are going around the, the protons and the neutrons that give it weight, that create a whole different type of element. That, that activity that's happening on a nuclear level can be explained through science, but science is pointing to the forces, the very character of God. God is very much intertwined with all of that. I always say this, science explains what and how. Faith explains who and why. And yet we try to use science to explain these 10 plagues but we miss the who and the why. Don't miss the who and the why. Don't miss the who and the why. And the reality, I know this is going to make a lot of people uncomfortable, but stay here. Rest in this because I've rested in this is we won't have all the answers concerning the 10 plagues. <laughs> Are you hearing me right now? We won't have all the answers concerning the templates. We won't have it. We won't know. We won't know for sure. 
We have theories about all the things I just said to you, and yet I believe they are all true. But what if I told you those aren't the answers we need? What we need is to read this story and to know who and why. That's exactly right, Sherry. We need to know the who and the why behind it because the who and the why is actually what the text is trying to point to. We don't need them. We don't need the answers. We don't need to know. So how did this happen? And how did that happen? And how did this happen? And we get stuck in that in the scriptures. But I want to point you to the who. God saw his chosen people and chose to liberate them in this way. Why did he do that? We'll see that tomorrow. Leave you on a cliffhanger.